Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. So I want to talk about big data for a second. Big data has been in the press a lot in the last couple of years because it's perceived as sort of a uh, sort of a new way of gathering and assessing and interpreting and acting upon the information we collect from the world around us. Um, big data has a has a kind of an interesting set of characteristics to it. It comes it comes in a couple of flavors. There is something called structured big data, which is much more than just large amounts of data. Structured big data means the data can be put into a spreadsheet or a SQL database, which means it's probably numbers. You know, it's probably, for example, sales numbers or, you know, uh, NFL attendance numbers or anything where you, where you literally can put it into the cells of a spreadsheet and therefore you can analyze it. Then we have unstructured big data, which is the far more interesting type of big data because unstructured big data means that there's no correlation among it. So, for example... Uh, you may have heard, uh, if you read Jurassic Park or, or saw the movie, you may remember Jeff Goldblum talking about the fact that, you know, a butterfly flapping its wings in the Amazon can cause it to rain in New York City five days later. That's uncorrelated data, but it's real. It's provable. And the fact that we can take data from, uh, you know, one source about a particular issue and combine it with data from another source about a completely unrelated issue and actually find correlations between that data is incredibly powerful. Now, obviously, this requires a type of, of uh, processing that we've never had before. It requires very sophisticated analytics. In fact, these analytical tools are so new that most of them, in fact, I could probably go correctly on record and say all of them are based on open source uh, programs because there just aren't any commercial programs available yet, things like Hadoop, for example. So I'm here with Pete Mulvihill, and I want to talk to Pete, who is my, my fire expert guy here, who just attended a conference in the Boston area. And at that conference, he heard a really intriguing talk about big data. And I think it's really cool. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about it, if you would. Sure, Steve. Uh, Aaron Baumgartner, the assistant director of MIT's Sensible City Laboratories, uh, gave a keynote speech at this conference I was at. And uh, she was addressing this issue of big data and how if you just pull it up on a computer screen, big Excel spreadsheet, it's just going to be numbers and ones and zeros and, you know, just no way to really comprehensively understand it. She was taking data and trying to visualize it so that it could be understood, interpreted, and applied in a real-world environment. And she gave a, a couple examples of how they were doing this. And one was, as she put it, because they're MIT, they build robots. So they built a robot to explore the sewer system in a town. And the robot had a, a variety of sensors on it. And it would go crawl through the sewer pipes. And it would analyze the effluent passing by it and could produce information of what was coming through the city sewer system from what areas of town, and it could generate a map. It got to the point where it could uh, determine that a particular part of town, there was an influenza outbreak. 
before people started showing up at the health clinics to be treated for it. So, so it was anticipating a, a situation before any medical professionals or, or population health people were even aware. That's correct. And that, that was just astounding to me. It was incredibly fascinating that they could get that much of a jump on it just by analyzing material that was passing by this robot as it roamed through the sewer system. The other project that they worked on, they wanted to know where uh, electronic trash was going. So by that you mean old computers, old cell phones, that kind of thing? Yeah, anything with a circuit board, um, things you're, you're e-trash, you're supposed to dispose of separately because it's not good to go in the landfill. And there's also materials in it that could be reclaimed. And there were studies done, but again, it was a, a spreadsheet a visualization. And uh, kind of difficult to understand. She wanted, uh, her laboratory wanted to put visualization to this data. So they put some tracker bugs in the materials. They dropped them off at different uh, recycling centers. And uh, it included uh, GPS tracking, and they were able to produce a map. So, for instance, they knew that some e-trash in, say, the Seattle, Washington area was ending up in the Los Angeles area for reprocessing and recycling. But now they figured out, they found out, how it actually got there. Some of it got on a truck and went down the I-5 corridor down the West Coast, Another piece appeared to fly to Chicago and then took a rail shipment from Chicago to the same destination outside Los Angeles. And these different lines were going across the country. Um, they also did a second stage study where they tracked the shipments going overseas and confirmed uh, what a lot of people have suspected with some of the electronic trash and uh, where it's ending up and uh, the poor processing methods it's receiving. Right, it's creating creating sort of cat catastrophic in environmental situations. Exactly. And seeing this on a, a map of North America or a map of the world uh, is much more visually striking and produces, at least it, from what I saw, a better comprehension and understanding of where the materials are going, how they're going, uh, what route they're taking, and where they're ending up than just looking at a printout that says X amount of stuff from Seattle ends up in Los Angeles. So again, confirm the facts. Yes, in an understandable manner. Thank you, Pete. You're welcome, Steve. <laughs>